0: Hello friends and listeners, this is the very first interview for Below the Line. and I couldn't be more pumped for who we have on today. It's Justin Kahn, who we'll get into a little bit of his background as the episode kicks off, but he's built, advised, and invested in companies worth several billion dollars in, in combined value. He's the CEO and co-founder of Atrium Legal Technology Services, and is the former partner of the famed Investment accelerator, Y Combinator. But that's the the above-the-line version of of who Justin is. And today I'm really excited you're gonna get to hear about the real version of who he is. And here's views on everything from avoiding results-based thinking, his approach to improving baseline happiness, and his story of his near-death experience that shaped how he views the world today. This is below the line. really excited to have a conversation with Justin Kahn. What's up? What up, Snaps? Yeah, what up, Snaps? I was going to ask you to to give a Snap shout out. We'll talk about what what that is here in a little bit. But uh, a little bit on Justin. He is one of the most successful young founders in Silicon Valley. He's built uh, a handful of companies. Serial Entrepreneur. One of his first companies uh, was Justin TV which uh, he also helped co-found the evolution of that twitch which is sold to Amazon for about a billion dollars and is rumored to be valued at about 20 to 25 billion now 20 to 25 billion that's right it is a uh, it's actually you should have shouldn't have where
1: where are the rumors from I didn't hear that rumor
0: that was uh, that was from I think Bloomberg oh man yeah that was from Bloomberg in 2016 so who knows got a hot deal they did maybe shouldn't have sold but maybe should have because then you went on to be a a partner at Y Combinator the famed incubator here in Silicon Valley as well as uh, start a few projects one of which is Atrium which is perhaps the fastest growing legal organization in the country it's if not world it's a tech law firm that uses uh, technology in the back end to automate and make your life easier in many ways through all of the legal things you need to jump through as a, as a company. And we'll, we'll touch on Atrium here in a little bit, but that's, that is the, the most badass uh, way I could try to introduce a friend, mentor, former investor in, in my own projects and all around good man, Justin Kahn. Give Thanks you a for roll. having me. Oh, cheers,
1: cheers, cheers, we're gonna do this.
0: All right, Justin or J-man, as I call you, let's jump into, uh, into my first question. What are some of your favorite things about being a founder?
1: Well, uh, you know, I've been a founder for a long time back in starting 2015. So it's been 14 years of starting companies and being an investor. I think the, the number one best part about it is that it forces you to grow as a founder, you are constantly put into situations where you're outside your comfort zone. I'm sure you, you know, I know you experience that a lot. And for better or for worse, whatever happens, the good things, the bad things, you are going to learn. You're going to have to learn. It's going to get beaten into you. And so I think that is a tremendously, amazingly valuable experience, right? It's not something that uh, everyone gets. You know, I've raised... Uh, 150 million dollars or something like that so far and who yeah. gets to spend 150 million dollars on how to learn you know learning how to build a company and right. learning how to not just building a company skills but like other skills right human skills like how do you lead people how do you organize people how do you market something all those things it's like almost like a you know like a nine-figure business school right that's a that's incredible right I mean, what an incredible opportunity to be able to marshal that kind of resources for your own education, it's like um, the opportunity of a of a lifetime or lifetimes, you know.
0: Right. That's that's, that's my good, favorite part. It's a good way of it's a good way of putting it. It's a different perspective than most. What are some of the things you learned?
1: I've learned infinite. Th- I mean, it's the, 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 it's an endless list of things, but like a lot of self awareness. What are the things I'm really good at? The few things there's only a couple. What are the things I'm very bad at? There's many of them. Uh, what are you know, what's the, what are the things you're good at? I'm very good at sales any sort of pitching type of thing, uh, which is a pretty critical skill as an entrepreneur, but sales, uh, recruiting, uh, raising money, good at those things. Um, And I think I'm pretty strategic. I I think I have a good strategic mind. Uh, So those are two core skills. And then, you know, I'm bad at a long list of things, you know, operating things consistently over time, uh, giving people consistent feedback. Basically, the operation operationalization component of things. Is there anything Um, that you're that you're bad at that you five ten years ago you would
0: have thought you were good at,
1: that maybe took you know experience? Yeah, I mean, I think I would have thought that I was good at operating things, and then now I've come to realize no, I'm better at partnering with people who are a little bit more consistent and thorough, and better project managers than I am, and helping them in a more strategic way. Yeah. Well, it's uh, and how many people is is Atrium now? It's about 150 people. We started in May in 2017, and uh, we're about 150 people now. Oh, that's awesome. Um, do you might tell them measuring little... measuring your company and how many people is it is is like measuring your airplane and weight. Yeah, totally, so,
0: totally. But it is uh, you're also going to learn a lot.
1: Yeah, um, that's the good part. We've and, learned a lot from the just how to grow a company really fast, what not to do. You know there were a lot of alignment things that we work through when you grow headcount really fast, uh, a lot of times you have to work on making sure that you have uh, company alignment dialed in. I wouldn't say that we've figured it all out, but it's something we've been proactively working on a lot after a lot of missteps in the beginning do you
0: mind do you mind for the listeners breaking down how like what is uh, what's so important
1: about getting alignment right and what well, what you just have a that? bunch of people who never worked together before, right? And so, how would they know? What are you here to build? What's the purpose of this company? What are you trying to do together? How do the cross-functional groups work together, in a way? And how do you do goal setting in a way that aligns everybody's incentives? You know, just basic stuff like that that you take for granted at other companies.
0: Yeah, I it's I I would say it's not not basic at all. After uh, you know about two years of working at Airbnb, it's it's super hard to master, and it's just continual evolution. On the things that about it, the things that you're good at, um, what is, what are some of the things that you've always, you've always been good at? Even just five-year-old Justin, 12-year-old Justin.
1: Well, I think I have that Catalytic energy to get ideas moving. You know, I like, I like ideas. I love new ideas, new ideas for businesses, but it could be anything. I have that energy that gets people excited about it and to galvanize them to, to work on a project, you know?
0: Yeah. Is there two sides of that? Is there a weak point of that? Yeah, you're- every
1: every every strength is also a weakness. Your greatest strengths are always your greatest weaknesses. I believe that. And for uh, when you know when you have a lot of energy for new ideas, focus can be a big problem. You know, you you need to in order to get anything, not just zero to one, but from one to you know ten and ten to a hundred. You're going to need focus, and sometimes you can. Uh, many entrepreneurs are like this. I think they get you get distracted by new ideas. You know. Yeah. I
0: remember in between, in between Exec and and Atrium, you were working on a few ideas at once. How many were you working on concurrently at that at kind of the height?
1: Well, we were. We were, I was incubating a couple ideas, but I was never really working on more than one uh, at a time myself. We incubated. Well, there's a company that kind of spun out of a couple of friends of mine working out of my house. It was called Alto. It's a pharmacy company now. I uh, raised about $75 million for, for that company, and um, that's about a 200-person company based here in San Francisco and in Denver. And that was one, and then I was incubating all these different social apps, but you kind of one at a time, as each one failed, we would build something else. So we built this com- thing called The Drop, which was kind of a music product hunt or Reddit, and yeah. then we built this. Uh, that didn't really work very well, so we built a uh, something called Whale, which was a Q&A app. Uh, well, actually, first we built this thing called the Artist Union, which is kind of a music promotional tool. Actually, it's still around, um, kind of a small business, but uh, for for artists to promote their 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 tracks. And then we built this thing called Whale, which is a Q and A video app. And you know, mostly experimenting with different consumer social apps, which is a business that's pretty hard to, you know, it's a very lottery crapshoot type of thing.
0: Yeah, well, wow. I mean, you've had a pretty good, good hit rate. How, out of curiosity, how many, how many companies have spawned from Justin Khan? And it's always in partnership with many, many great people. But with you being part of the brain trust of of creating, how many, if you were to count them up?
1: Well, I don't. Most of them were failures. I don't think counting your number, you know, serial entrepreneur just means you don't didn't really figure out, <laughs> you know, a good company to start, right? So. We had one really good one, which was Twitch, which spun out of Justin TV, which, you know, shut down. So, you know, but it's the same company. You count that as different companies. And we spun out this app called Social Cam, which is kind of like an Instagram for video. I had this company called Kiko, which was the very first company that was funded by YC. It was a calendar app, but also mostly a failure. We ended up selling it on eBay. And then, you know, this product company that that built the artist union in Wales, all one company, really. And then... um a pharmacy company, and then now Atrium, and I also created that exec company, which is kind of like an errand running company, which turned into something that was like Homejoy, kind of like a cleaning service, book on mm-hmm. online cleaning service that we sold to Handy, uh, which is not a super great outcome, but we we ended up selling it for stock in Handy, and then Handy, miraculous against all odds, is now was just acquired by Angie's List. Yeah. So. Well, it's uh, yeah, it actually. Racked one uh, in the W's column.
0: Yeah, seriously. Well, I you know, there's maybe there's not much to be said for counting up the number of companies that you've that you've launched, but I'd say shots on goal, that's it's you have a unique number of, of times in a fourteen year entrepreneurial career of companies that you've you've launched. I mean, it's there's it definitely says something about you as a founder. Um as this is you're, I'm
1: easily distractible <laughs> and lack focus.
0: Maybe, but it also says uh, you're willing to try much more. I mean, just trying to build a company, and I know for for many of the friends that I have back home I'm uh, from Texas, it can take a lifetime for them to get the courage to build up uh, you know that courage to start one thing, and you've started so many it sounds like it's gotten easier over time to start them and and realize which which have legs, which don't, but that, I think it definitely says something something about you to uh, to have put that many things to have taken that many swings. I've got to ask about kind of the emotional toll of doing those, that many swings. We could obviously just talk about kind of the the 10% of of the wins, but what is the emotional toll of 14 years of entrepreneurially creating things and things not working out?
1: Well, I mean, I don't think it's probably any different than what you experienced. You know, the, the thing about everybody in any situation is that you, the human mind can create anxiety and fear and pain out of situations no matter where you're at. So whether it's one company over 14 years or 10 companies over 14 years, you know, you are going to create a lot of situations, you're going to have a lot of situations, experience a lot of situations where by default you might uh, feel, you know, like stress and anxiety over what's going to happen and and pain and fear. And like you've let your employees and investors down uh, and your customers down. And that's just, something that every entrepreneur will have to experience and figure out how, how to overcome. and I think that it doesn't really matter what the quantity or breadth or size of the company is actually. like even if you're a you know very big company that's relatively stable, you've built a company that's like very successful, you can still have those feelings uh, just like when you you know start out week one and you realize that you quit your job and you know, you took some investor money, oh shit, what are you going to do? You know, like you can, the human mind can create these uh, negative situations and anxieties out of any situation. So it's, I don't think it's like really can you pati- give me an example? particular to you, to starting a lot of companies, you know, like I have. Sure. An example, like, I think basically what happens is entrepreneurs will go and they start a company and then you create a bunch of attachments to what you think is gonna to happen to that company. You know, you think it's gonna be a billion dollar startup or you're going to create, you know, change the world or you're going to get a lot of customers who are super happy. You're gonna even just solve a problem that you care a lot about because you experienced it in a past life and that's what led you to start this company. Any of those things are like future outcomes that you're like, yes, I really want that to happen because entrepreneurs generally have a, you know, reasonable degree of confidence and, um, you know, are kind of the center of their own hero's journey. They their ego is tied into that outcome happening or some set of those outcomes. So I remember when I started my very first company, Kiko, where we, we raised almost no money and we were like paying ourselves, you know, a thousand dollars a month. My other friends, when became consultants and iBankers and they were making money, and I was always like, well, at least I control my own destiny. I'm an entrepreneur, or whatever, you know, like I wouldn't have it any other way. I had like all this ego attachment to being a founder and then the future outcomes of what would happen, you know even if it's just being a stable, you know, small company, right? Like just like all my, these future outcomes were tied into my inter inter, interlaced my ego to the, these outcomes. And that will always cause you pain because there is no future outcome. Mm. Once achieving it, you will be actually have like long lasting joy, like your, your emotional state and baseline happiness, uh, will never change in a lasting way from any outcome. And that doesn't just mean like a economic outcome or like a co- company outcome. It means any external circumstance uh, right. that you are looking to find in the world. Right? Yeah. And so you can be very successful and still not realize that, or you could be on day one and not realize that. And for me, we had already created a billion-dollar company that we'd sold before I realized that. You know, and that is... That's that's a, that's I guess what I mean.
0: Yeah, it's why I love talking with you because I think you 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 probably think about this stuff so deeply and so often that you think everybody does. But this you know these these terms that you're using like attachment or outcomes and outcome based you know thinking or baseline happiness like it's deep stuff. I mean, it's all I, and by the way for the listeners, uh, there's no hiding the fact that I, I really wanted Justin to be the first guest for this podcast for for a lot of these these reasons, but. You shared with me one of the questions, I plan on asking two, two questions each, each episode and then really conversationally taking it from there. But uh, one of them is, what's something you think a lot about, but you don't? Yeah, I get some more kin. Yeah, That's I right. like
1: this kin and recess mix. It's really working for I me. I know, I know. You might be able to increase your baseline happiness if you <laughs> drink this drink.
0: Yeah, well, I was about to ask, you know, what's something you think a lot about, but you rarely get the chance to, to talk about?
1: Yeah, so, um, I mean, this stuff is something that I've been thinking a lot about because it took me so long in my career before I realized, oh my God, I'm really not, I'm optimizing for all these external things and I've attached my desires to these external things, but it's actually not giving me any, like, it's not really giving me anything. And then at the same time, I'd started this new company and i have been undergoing, you know, I went back into it and I'm like, oh my God, this is just as stressful as I ever imagined. Like why am I so stressed out? Now I'm already reasonably successful. I've got what I set out to get in the beginning. Uh, you know, I started 14 years ago. Why am I still so stressed? And I realized you, know, you can create a stress out of anything, at any situation. And so I started looking for ways to increase my own baseline happiness, and uh, I started working on those things you know and there are a bunch of stuff talked about a little bit in the past i'm pretty talk about pretty openly on on twitter and uh, i try to talk about this stuff because i think it's important to to model the fact that you can be successful and still have ways to you know you have work to do and so you know those things there's a lot of things that i I think are really important practices that i've adopted to uh, try to improve my baseline happiness
0: yeah you shared with me an article Recently, I wanted to go through a few things from the article and get, uh, get uh, your take for someone if they haven't read it. You mentioned uh, a few things. I'll go down the, the list. First thing is a five-minute journal uh, to increase your baseline happiness. First thing you started with and what you wrote was a five-minute journal. What is that?
1: Yeah, so there's uh, this concept of a gratitude journal, which is effectively a prompt to think about the things that you're grateful for every day. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a psychologist. I don't know what the bro science of gratitude is, but uh, I do know that a friend of mine eight months ago was like, you should try this app. And I tried it and it just asks you the same question every day, which is what are three things you're grateful for? And then second question is what are three things you're going to do to make today great? And just answering that question every morning for a week, I was like, okay, I'll give it a week. I felt noticeably happier. At the end of that week. Within a week, wow. Yeah. And so it just recontextualizes, serves to recontextualize all of the things that are going on in your day or your life, right? Because in, as an entrepreneur, but really in any job, right, you will undergo micro stresses throughout the day, right? If you're working at a shop, someone might be, a customer might be rude to you. Someone might cut you off in traffic. If you're a founder, you might lose a sale or an employee that you wanted to hire might go and join a competitor. And all of those things in the moment, you will be like, "Oh my God, that's the end of the world," or "I'm so upset," or whatever. But if you really think about them and take a stop to recontextualize them in the greater context of your life, they might seem much smaller, right? Today, I was grateful for. Well, I'm sick right now. You know, I had the, had the flu last week, but I have an amazing wife who is taking care of me, making sure, you know, even going to Walgreens and getting cough I mean, small things and and big things and. Uh, just making sure I'm okay. And and then, you know, that was one of the things in my gratitude journal. Or I was also grateful for the fact that there's this global supply chain to uh, bring me, you know, coffee from the, like, other side of the world, right? That's amazing. If uh, a thousand years ago, you wouldn't have ac- access to that. You know, even these, like, luxuries that we take for granted. Um, and not just coffee, obviously, like, let's say uh, DayQuil. That was a little more relevant for me today. And so... You know, when you think about oh, someone cut me off in traffic, compared to these other things you're really grateful for, like I have this amazing wife, you're like, oh, well, I guess being cut off in traffic actually doesn't mean shit, anyways. So, right. like com- by comparison, and so it just helps recontextualize uh, those things, those you know, those those micro stresses, and and then you realize that everything you're stressed out about today, a year from now, you probably won't even remember it. Right. And if you do remember you probably look back on it and say, I'm glad I had that experience. I learned something.
0: Yeah, totally. I, I, uh, I, you're, you're actually like two feet away from my gratitude journal. And so it was so cool to, to see you, you had written that this is literally joys that I'm grateful for. And I started doing that when I was in a funk about, uh, about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it was so interesting how that simple act in the morning I think I wrote down like maybe three or four, but then you just keep going. Cause you, I just found myself just writing a fifth and a sixth Cause it was so easy to keep thinking about things that you're grateful for. And, uh, and I, and I swear, I don't know if it was in a week, but probably in three weeks, it started to reorient my mind. Um, it was really, really powerful. I loved reading that and your post. So the second thing that you listen that I want to ask about, which is really interesting is, um, negative visualization what is what
1: what is that yeah so I was doing this gratitude journal and then I started doing other forms of you know which is effectively a visualization of the things you're grateful for and then I started doing other other things and I, I started you know I read about negative visualization I don't know someone I think a friend of mine told me about it and that's when you visualize the neg- like bad things that could happen to you and you really try to imagine your life if something bad happens so what if uh, my company failed right what if atrium failed what if I got cancer, family member passed away, right? Like all these things and then kind of visualize what that experience would be like. And then for me, you know, the, what happens is I go into this, I, I, number one, you realize you will adapt to that situation. And the, he, the human mind is very adaptable and has adapted to you much worse than probably I will ever experience in my life, probably you, you, you as well. And then you, also realize you wake up in your real life and you're very grateful for 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 what's actually happening which is not that right right what is what
0: yeah on that note jeff jordan one of best investors in the world and lucky to to call him a a friend and mentor he told me one of his greatest strengths is he can he can adapt to anything within 24 hours and yeah. like in running when he's running PayPal yeah. or, or open table he said He he just said it so hilariously off the cuff. He's like, "Well, one of my greatest strengths is I can adapt to anything within 24 hours." And I thought about that for months and months. You know, afterwards, I was like, "Holy shit, that is a phenomenally powerful strength to adapt to anything in in 24 hours." My wife and I we chat about, like, we feel like we can adapt to most things. It's like three days, and you know, something in life changes. Um, We thought we were going to have a boy. And just, I was so dumb. It was such a small thing that we just thought we had this in intuition. It was like, no, I think it's going to be a boy. Had a gender reveal. It was like a year and a half ago. Had a gender reveal that it was a, uh, that we were going to have a daughter. And it was, it was so strange for you to, just to feel like your intuition's way off. And and you kind of build this story in your, in your mind about, you know, having a boy and a son and and, and what that would be like, even though you don't, you know, it's still uncertain until you have kind of that that gender revealed. And and then it was a girl and it was like, whoa, okay, this takes some readjusting. Within two, three days, reimagine life at, with a daughter. And it was like, this is going to be amazing. And yeah. now a uh, 15-month-old cannot imagine being a boy. And, it, and I remember feeling like, yeah, it was like within three three days, I had rewritten this story that we had said out loud maybe for three months. And could not even imagine that previous, you know, fictional version. I got to ask uh, something that that listeners might have asked themselves. So, what if Atrium failed? Walk me through that that imaginative. Yeah, exercise. sure, easy.
1: It's e- easy. If Atrium fails, first of all, you know, and this is not to say that I'm not trying my damnedest to make sure it's successful. But you know, you have to realize that you don't control as a founder. You don't control the outcome entirely, right? There are lots of externalities that can happen that are completely out of your control. I won't enumerate them all here, but there's lots of things that could happen. The economy could like totally tank right when you were relying on an infusion of capital, right? Uh, things like that. So, so to hang it all on your own shoulders is, is a recipe for just anxiety, uh, when really you should just be saying, well, within the constraints and resources I have, I should just be trying my hardest, you know? But I don't control the outcome. And so I'm not gonna attach my ego to the outcome. And if it fails, you know, the first thing you might say is like, oh, well, I let all my employees down. But you have to realize that, you know, we live in the Bay Area where there's 2% unemployment today, and I will be able to help them find another job somewhere. And then you might say, well, I let all my investors down. Well, for your investors, you are one of a portfolio of many companies, and they have planned failure. There's a planned failure rate. And yes, they are relying on, you know, you to try your best, but they are not gonna go be broke uh, and not be able to raise another fund because of your one failure, you know. And then you might say, "Well, I'm you know letting my clients and customers down." But, um, you know, right. you would be. I can imagine how I would be able to help place those um, uh, clients at at other other great firms, right? And so, you know, life will go on. And you know, myself personally, and and this is you know probably different for most founders out there, but I'll be fi- economically. I'm fine, right? I don't have to be doing this. But even if I did have to be doing this, and if I was a founder of a company that had not had seen an exit before, you know, you, I would be able to find another job. And it would be a great job probably in the Bay Area at a tech company where, you know, my biggest complaint might be what I'm having for lunch or whether I have to deal with corporate politics in a giant company, which is, you know, not the end of the world. And so that scenario of play, has played out is like not the end of the world. I w- would survive that, right so will you and so would any entrepreneur out there, uh, but you build up so much fear and anxiety around it because you have so much attachment to the outcome that it's actually much bigger of a problem in your mind than it actually is in reality
0: right you shine a light on it and it's yeah. actually pretty small if you're willing to if you're willing to go there yeah, if you really think about it right but it's I totally remember experiences where it's just like, you don't even entertain that thought because for some twisted reason you feel like no it is that is not an option when i think you're so right in saying and articulating that as a founder you might not have all the control you think you do certainly don't have the control uh, at least before you start a company you think that it all comes down to the founder or it comes down to the founding team or it comes down to a strategic decision or two and that's interesting to hear you articulate that it's far less control than than you think. If you were to put a percentage on it, actually, no, if you were to put a percentage on the amount that you thought it, it came down to the founders 10 years ago versus now, how has it changed it? And I imagine I can, uh, you know, it's gone in a certain direction,
1: but is there No, a big I don't difference? know if it's, I don't think, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's changed. I think you, you know, maybe I have between 10 and 40% control over the outcome. You know, based on the strategic decisions I make and the type of com- company culture I build. But it's not 100%. I know that.
0: Right? The majority of it is out of your uh control uh, yeah. from that at least from that numeric standpoint.
1: And then from the negative visualization standpoint, you know, I think about other scenarios. What if I what if I got cancer? Yeah. Right? Um, and I just think about what it what it would be like to go into chemo and like to be sick all the time and like lose your health. And then I'm like, well, the company failing is not that bad. So, you know, it's all about perspective, I think. That's yeah. not to trivialize, like, having these traumatic experiences, but not to say it's not horrible, right? Like, visualizing it is can, can be scary, but I think that it's about um, realizing that you will adapt and then waking up in your real life and being like, wow, I'm very grateful for what I have right now.
0: Right. I heard someone say recently that it's not the... Uh, we don't fear the unknown as much as we uh, fear losing the known.
1: That Yeah, I think there is a lot of aversion to change and to loss. Right. Human beings are wired to have loss aversion. But I think that, you know, that's kind of a fool's fool's errand on its own because if you really think about it, you will lose everything that you have in your life. You know, I'm, I've been successful, gotten some respected founder had outcomes that are that are good i made some great investments people asked me to be on podcasts you know so that's great but one day i'm not going to be famous people are going to forget about me you know who are the people who founded last generations of companies in the in the 70s and 80s like who's the founder of digital right Like people can't even name most of the presidents of the united states right they're not going to remember me Fame's gonna right. be the first to go. I'm gonna lose my health at one one point. All my relations and family members are gonna die or they're gonna watch me die and eventually I'm gonna lose my life. And that's okay. Change is the thing that's constant in the world and you have to, you can fight it and you can like have anxiety about it and fear about it or you can accept it. And the sooner you accept it, the better off you'll be.
0: Yeah. You mentioned in there yeah uh, removing attachment and um, that was, was part of the the article as well can you walk me through how how does one remove attachment
1: well I and, think it's much easier said than done super hard for me I don't and I would not say I'm the master in any way I'm relatively a neophyte at all of this you know I' I've been learning as I as I go and uh, trying to do what works for me and re- reinforce what w- works for me for me I just try to remind myself, even if I achieve whatever happens, I'm not gonna be any happier or less happier. It's not gonna change my baseline happiness. I think I want all of these things, but when if they happen, nothing will happen internally. And I have experienced enough that I have seen that already play out. So it's just the process of reminding myself that uh, kind of over and over every day and then reminding myself even on a day level, no day is different from any other day. You know, my best day and my worst day are the same thing it's just a set of experiences you know a string of perceptions that you have and if you have too much attachment to you know either chasing or maximizing pleasure and and minimizing pain that's its own attachment on its own you know and you're going to you're going to feel you know that's not going to it's not going to lead you to long-term happiness and yeah. so just trying to remind myself of those things every day yeah is a big part of it the yeah,
0: I mean life is just a string of of experiences and an experience is is made up of you know the outside world the world around you and and your perception of of what's happening and you can't really change the world around you but you can turn an experience into a more positive one by changing your own your own perception. Exactly, for sure. Um what it, okay, so you also list, you listed uh meditation.
1: Yeah, so I've been Experimenting with meditation, trying to meditate more. I started doing, learning transcendental meditation or TM uh, recently. So meditating about 40 minutes a day uh, for... And what's transcendental meditation? It's like a mantra meditation. There's a whole TM organization that will teach you uh, how to do it. But I like it because compliance is easy. It's easy to do. It's, you know, I'm like almost, I think, 40 days straight or something like that so far. So I don't know. I'm, I'm new. It's That's awesome. It's, it's working good for me, though, for the last you know 40 days. But before that, I was just using headspace. Well, they so, what it's like 21 days in it, in it to create a habit. So 40, it's impressive. Yeah, it's been pretty good. It's you know, I realized that you make time for the things you care about. You know, people are always like, oh, I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to exercise. I don't you know. Well, if you really care about something, you're going to make time. So I've really found it. It isn't that hard to make time uh, to meditate. Because I have seen how much of a payoff it has in terms of my uh, kind of constant baseline happiness. Yeah. Well, it's
0: you also put in there on that baseline improvement. Your phone. What have you done with? Uh, oh, I was. Uh,
1: yeah, when I was when I was talking talking to Ryan uh, Hoover a couple of months ago, I was on. He did, he was he does a podcast, and I was telling him I was trying to give up my phone and replace it with an Apple Watch. Well, that failed because I like I wanted to use. Lyft and pay-by-phone parking app and a bunch of utility apps. So I, I brought my phone back and I deleted all the apps from it and locked it so you can't install new apps. And I even deleted the browser. So I deleted all the entertainment apps like Twitch and uh, YouTube and Instagram, Twitter. And I even removed email and Slack from it. And then I locked it and I, I turned it black and white. Uh, which I think makes it less addictive. And so now I just read, it's you know, it's only good for note taking and Kindle and that's about it. Uber and Google Maps. Um,
0: yeah, that's I have tried my, just using my Apple watch as well, and I tried no screen Saturdays. And uh, yeah, it is tough. There's a few apps that come up throughout the day. you're you're kind of like shit, okay, I need my phone for that, but that's that's much better approach than than trying to go with a phone or or the watch or leave your phone at home all right exercise and diet that was next on on or yeah what i've been
1: what uh done there? been exercising i think it's you know that's a common one that people talk about
0: but uh is there any serotonin any regimen to it and, and just try to make it super it?
1: easy. And, and you know, a lot of these things, I actually have a very low willpower.
0: Yeah, I was, I was actually gonna bring that up. Uh, around exercise and your phone, you mentioned that, a few other really interesting things in, in what you wrote. You mentioned low willpower, which is so surprising from the outside looking in and what you've done in life, you would, you would imagine from going to Yale to what you've accomplished in, the, in your professional career starting so many companies, building a company with 150 employees and, and raising 150 million. And then you slip this little line into this thing that you wrote and sent me of uh, low willpower. Why, why do you feel like you have low willpower? And,
1: and how have you? I don't feel like it. I know it. Right? <laughs> I know it because, you know, if you look at screen time, I was looking at my screen time, which convinced me I needed to change my phone habits, but it's like five and a half hours a day. Some of it was on email and stuff like that, but like that's a lot of time. You know, it's almost like working a, a full time job on your phone. And I know a lot of it was watching, you know, YouTube video, music videos on YouTube, and and watching Twitch and and looking at Instagram and stuff like that. I say I have low willpower because I mean it's not just the phone usage, but many other things uh, in my life. You know, even just eating the entire box of cookies, right? Like when you're when you're I just open up a I don't know package of cookies or something, and so. I think I have low impulse control, actually. So in order to counteract that, I need to do things that are like meta-level willpower. So basically remove the decision-making from an active decision into like just a rule. So, you know, my rule on exercise is I just try to do something every day. Like even if it's five minutes, right? It's kind of like a don't break the chain thing. It's the same thing as the meditating. The reason I've been able to do the 40 days, 40 minutes in a row, or 40 minutes a day times 40 days pretty consistently is I just... I have like insight timer on my phone and there's like a it shows you how many days you've done in a row and I just don't wanna break that chain. Same thing with diet. It's like I, if I am trying to just eat more healthy and I have to make a decision on every meal, then I'm just gonna oftentimes pick the unhealthy meal. But if I say, oh, I'm gonna eat keto and I'm gonna eat no carbs, you know, then it's a simple rule. And it's not hard to follow the rule. For me, it's, it's, it's about removing choice. And that's the, you know, so you don't have to make the decision. Cause if I have to make decisions, I make the the weaker, weak willed decision. Oftentimes.
0: That's fascinating. I think
1: that's true of most people, you know,
0: I think it's a, it's a really smart approach of just remove the choice altogether. I'd say I don't have a whole lot of willpower in in so many things in life, but I can just switch something off of all right, I'm going vegetarian. Yeah. I think you have more
1: willpower than me. You've quit drinking for. Yeah.
0: Don't really drink. Yeah.
1: Um, Went vegetarian. Yeah. See, I can't Went do vegetarian. Like,
0: yeah. Gluten free. But it, but it, it actually, I don't have much willpower. I, I have wanted to go to the gym consistently. And I, I do like aerobic cycling for like 30 minutes, three times a week. But that took a long time. We got a Peloton. So it made it super easy to where there's no commute. And, and I've told myself, because yeah. I'm one skinny dude, I've told myself I wanted to put on some muscle for five years, six years, and I haven't been able to, to build a regimen around that. But if I just, Just make a hard rule and cut something out. I can like quit it so easily. Just make a hard rule and take it out of the choice or the selection box. But yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I have much willpower, but I will kind of dig in there to ask if each strength can have a weakness. Is there a strength to, to your weakness of, of low willpower? Has it led to potential positives in life?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. Is it, is, is my low willpower secretly a strength? i don't know about that one it's interesting i usually i do think that people's greatest strengths and weaknesses are basically the same flip sides of the same coin but in terms of low willpower i don't know that i would i don't know about that one like
0: i know for for me being really impatient was the reason i was like all right i'm gonna start a company because there are no cool jobs in dallas uh that i was really excited about it at You know, in my early 20s, I was like, "Okay, I'm just going to create it, or at least no cool jobs I could get, so I'm just going to create one." And it was total impatience, uh, vice, leading to it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's forced me to create these rules that have actually, you know, made me better over time. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you're certainly
0: aware of the the low willpower, which is, uh, I'd say your baseline is higher than most. But uh, but maybe the unique thing is you're you're just aware of it and you try to work around it. Okay. You talk about uh, a few more things and then and then we can move on, but you talk about therapy.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's super important. You know, I, I feel like uh, going to therapy was something that I started doing after a long time because, well, my parents, my mom actually was super into therapy for the longest time and she was telling me, hey, you should, uh, you should see a therapist. It's helped me a lot and I was always very skeptical. And... At a certain point when i was working on exact the, the cleaning startup it was just so stressful i was and i was getting up in the morning and dreading going to work i was really hating it and i had to i, I thought i really need to make a change and so I found a therapist and started seeing somebody and it really helped me even introduced me to some of these concepts about um, especially about creating some space between your emotions and uh your yourself right not uh, identifying with all the emotions that I was experiencing through what I perceived of as a failure, especially around, you know, the guilt around it. And I just really, you know, learning some techniques around, Hey, I'm feeling this way, but I'm just going to observe that. And that creates itself. That observation creates a little distance between, you know, your self-identification of it and that emotion.
0: It's, that is something that, yeah, that would be hard to
1: do without, could you, could you have gotten that without therapy? I mean maybe but I probably wouldn't have. Yeah. So yeah, I I think it's really important to destigmatize therapy. Absolutely. That is a um the stats
0: are something that, uh, around uh only about 21% of Americans dealing with currently or will deal with uh depression mm-hmm. uh in their life and of that of that only half of that uh, of the number 40 it's like 46% will actually seek help. Hmm. And I hope that's going up, but it is, uh, it's something that it is, it's already very isolating to go through depression, but it is way more so if you feel like you can't talk about it, at least with a professional that is literally trained to help you, uh,
1: talk about it. Yeah. I think it's super cathartic to, f- to be able to talk to someone about your problems.
0: It's kind of like your negative visualization of shine a light on, on what you are potentially mentally fearful of going into yeah, and
1: definitely. the problem shrinks um, or can shrink.
0: All right, you said uh, last thing was being authentic.
1: Yeah, I think that one thing I've been working on for myself is I think I've always connected really well around ideas. Around, I'm very excited about ideas. I love learning about new businesses and technology and all sorts of new ideas, but I've always struggled with connecting with other people it probably doesn't. I think a lot of people are surprised to hear me say that, but uh, I've always felt it to be the case actually. And so one thing I'm working on for myself is just trying to authentically connect with people around me more and just genuinely express how I feel about them. Uh, And so, you know, as long as it's done in an authentic way. I think in, in society today, we don't really tell each other how we really feel about each other, what we appreciate about each other. Uh, It just feels awkward or people kind of scared to express it. And so I've been trying to make an effort to tell people about it, you know, to to talk to when I talk to people to tell them what I appreciate about them, whether it's at work or in my life.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like in achieving a certain level of success, it's allowed you to, it's emboldened you to be more authentic or more vulnerable? Or do you feel like it might be the other way around where by being authentic, it is what emboldens you to, to rally people around you towards?
1: towards a, a common goal? I think I'm, I don't know if it's made any difference, I guess. Yeah, no, I don't know. I think, I think it's kind of like an orthogonal axis. Well, you mentioned at
0: the end of it, you said uh, to sign off on the letter, you said I was going to bring up the, the willpower thing and then you also sign off by saying, I
1: love you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I, I have such a, I've been so blessed in my life. So I wrote this like it was not really an article. It's like a Google Doc, right? And I wrote it because I was talking to all my friends, not all of them, but many of them. This is something a subject I like to talk about because it's had a high level, a degree of impact for me in the very recently in the last six months. And so I wrote them these things out because a couple of people were asking me like, "What are you doing? You feel like really, you seem really positive, like high energy, happy." And so I wrote all of these things down and and. I signed off. I love you in this article because, or not article, but this like list, I call it program, right? This is like my happiness program, which is not really my program. It's just a, a bunch of things I've learned from other teachers and people and over the past six, six to 12 months. And I feel a lot of love and a deep well of love for the people around me who have supported me through the various things that experiences I've had, but also, also just who are in my life. i I'm, very blessed. You know, I think about this all the time. I think I I actually wrote it down in this, in this doc, but there've been a hundred billion people who have ever been on this planet. And I think in terms of any access, any measurement, I've got to be, you know, whether it's security or opportunity or access to resources or education or relationships, I've got to be in the top 10 million at least, you know, which is, 0.01%, 0.01 uh, percent, which is pretty incredible if you think about it. What a blessing! It's amazing, and so I feel a lot of a deep well of gratitude, even for that opportunity and and for the people around me. So yeah, yeah. Well, it is it is uh, very cool. I I just
0: the language you just don't hear that very often, or you don't read that very often. At least maybe it's a maybe it is it's something out here, or maybe it's just the professional setting in which we which we work. One, you don't hear just the the thematic points of how to increase your baseline happiness. Everything is like, it's assumed. It's like, do this, right. this, this in your career, and, and it will have this impact of increasing your baseline happiness. But at the end of the day, a lot of us are pursuing that. How do we become more joyful? And you kind of hit on it, and there's there's almost nothing in there, and it's to to what you articulate explicitly. There's nothing in there that's
1: results-oriented, Um, yeah, because the results don't actually make you happier. And this is not to say don't pursue results. You know, you have to live in society. You're going to, you need a job to live. Uh, you probably want to do well in that job and have some pride around it, whether that job is being CEO or being dishwasher. Right. And so that's, that's important and that's good, but it's not going to make you happy. Well, from the thematic point to the
0: tactical ending with, I love you. That word, I mean, at the end of the day, we're ultimately what we're, uh, at least what I believe we're pursuing is connection and love. And and if we're pursuing that, and that's that's just underneath everything else that we talk about, and it's maybe not just underneath, maybe it's miles underneath, so much of what we talk about, we're ultimately pursuing connection. It is such a powerful phrase to mention to people is that you love them. So yeah. it's, uh, hey, I love you. I love you, James. No, seriously, I really do. And I'm not just saying that because it would be strange for me not to say it after talking about how how, uh, powerful a phrase it is. But uh, but one of the things that I do love about you, and to underscore what I was saying a few minutes ago, just you think about this stuff so deeply and you share it often, or just think to write it down to share with friends. And it's a very seriously rare quality of any of our friends out here. It is uh, to write that type of stuff down. It's it is rare. And and I know we all we all appreciate it. Uh, Thanks. I
1: appreciate you saying that. Well, you know, you got to model the you have to model the behavior you want to see in the world. Yeah,
0: well, it is it makes it easy when you see someone that is where you are uh, in your career, it makes it easier for us to model that uh, as well in that in that vein you get asked a lot of questions on social media people are always asking you questions on every platform what is one of the more interesting questions that kind of took you back or or caused you to rethink some things uh in in the last few weeks months Hmm. or or what is uh
1: i feel like i was talking about this today on twitter the the just such a like a technocrat thing to say but i was you know, the, the peoples it's interesting, The your interactions on social media are a blend of people, like, insightful conversation and good questions and random spam and then just people trying to stun on all over you. You know, they're try, trying to, like, say some one-liner on top of your whatever tweet or media you posted that's like, this is why this guy's wrong. So I don't know. I don't really pay that much attention, actually, to social media like I I use it mostly as a broadcast platform I don't think I'm having like super deep revelations from what people are tweeting at me you
0: know I remember when we were getting dinner a few years ago um you had sold twitch and and it was maybe five or six months after selling twitch and you know the headline grabbed everyone's attention of selling a company for for a billion a billion dollars is so outrageous it is so outrageous like even with the Silicon Valley lens uh, in which you know uh, people live uh, with out here, is so outrageous. But you told me during dinner that it hadn't changed that much for you. We touched on on it in in the result results conversation, but you actually said that there was a time that you hadn't gotten out of bed in like four days. And do you mind telling me a little bit more about? It? We didn't talk too much about it. And- was it
1: like? Uh- was that after acquisition?
0: Yeah, after acquisition, and and no. I think it would have been. It was certainly surprising for me to hear. And and and, do you mind just talking to me about uh, about that ex- whatever you were going through, or that time in life where it just was so not what you'd expect for someone that had sold a company for a billion dollars?
1: Yeah, well, it's just, once again, it's you know your outcome. You think it's going to make you happy, but it doesn't. It doesn't make you unhappy it just doesn't do anything right like you might be happy for a second a minute an hour a day or even a week if you like look at your bank account but um it doesn't affect it doesn't change your relationships with other people it doesn't change your access to doing things that you like to do that give you joy right so it doesn't really change those baselines and um you know at the time of we exited and um, did not continue, you know, I wasn't working at Amazon or anything. I was kind of between things to do. I was spending a lot of time just by myself, you know, not doing anything. And so, you know, there was days I was just like sitting there looking at Netflix and, and Twitch on my iPhone, right? And that's like, I remember this one time when I, and actually this has happened to like quite a few friends of mine. That's before we had any exit. There was a, a friend of one of my roommates who had sold his company uh, for, you know, he had a nice exit. Didn't ever have to work again. He was a young guy, but he just spent all day sitting at home playing video games, which you could do with no money, right? And so <laughs> it's it, it was just like a, you know, it's kind of sad because here you are with all these resources, but at the same time, you like your life is just, it's what you make out of it. It's, it's, is depressing or not depressing as your ability to make your life less depressing and more joyful is completely, you know, after a certain point of resources of, of wealth or whatever, which is pretty low, actually, you know, it's entirely up to you, I guess is the point. And so, you know, that's really the experience. And that's the experience that I was going through. It was just like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? What should I do with my life? time kind of independent of like having money or not having you know it's like what what do i want to spend my time doing
0: right yeah i i was chatting about this with a friend the other day that it's we both said that we felt like we had more direction when we were 22. like we had more like this is what we needed and it was it was more or less hoisted upon us of of like a corridor and a career or like build a startup or or you know go to grad school and, it, and it's it's really helpful to have uh, in some ways to have this, this corridor, yeah, constraint. Um, but it's obviously not helpful if it's the wrong constraint or if it's something that just is, is put upon you by someone else, um, for their benefit. Yeah. It's their system. Yeah. Um, but it certainly checks that box of like, okay, this, I'm getting this, the feedback loop that this direction is, is correct. Maybe at the, after, uh, you know, on the other side of an acquisition, Like that, um, it really makes you think through. Okay, what is the right path without any constraints? That's kind of, you
1: know. Yeah, most people I don't know. Right, they don't know. They don't have a plan for what to do uh, when they don't have to do anything.
0: Right. Yeah. Constraints are. Constraints can be good. Can be good. Yeah. Can be good. All right. So I also want to ask uh, three stories that that have shaped your life, and any types of stories you want to share but
1: well I mean the first one was really you know definitely getting into Y Combinator I think that was a turning point for us Emmett and I my co-founder of our very first company and then later on Justin TV and then you know it became uh, then when we pivoted to Twitch that was Emmett's idea and then he became the CEO of, of Twitch and is still there today at the time we were working on this calendar startup it's kind of like Google Calendar but before Google Calendar had come out and uh, we didn't know, we were seniors in college at Yale, and we didn't know what we were gonna do when we graduated. And my friend actually sent us uh, an application to Y Combinator, like the night before YC uh, was, uh, the applications were due, this is for the very first program in 2005. And that was pretty life-changing because we were, you know, it was like, do you have a startup? We wanna fund it. And we are like, oh my God, we have a startup, we need funding. And we had no plan on how to continue working on it after graduation or anything like that. So we ended up applying that night, stayed up all night in the computer lab uh, filling out this application. And then we applied and we were invited to uh, you know go do an interview and we ended up going up to Boston and interviewing with Paul Graham and Jessica Livingston and uh, Robert Morris and Trevor Blackwell for... 40 minutes, actually. The interviews were 40 minutes back then. And then they funded our, our company. And really that set us on this trajectory to start startups. And if it wasn't for that, you know, I would probably would have been a consultant after.
0: Would you have not, you wouldn't have started it?
1: No. Well, we started already, but we put have continued afterwards. You know, we had jobs lined up and, and stuff. So it, that was pretty incredible. That was one. And then that was probably one inflection point. I often think, you know, as part of this gratitude exercise, I wrote down all the, like, lucky breaks I ever got. And that was that was one major one. I remember when uh,
0: Harge gave us a call to let us know that we got into Y Combinator. Yeah, it's amazing. I remember right? exactly where we were pulled over on the side of the road. I had never been to uh, like Palo Alto, the Bay Area, for that interview, and, and then they call you that night uh, with it and, and let you know if you got in. And I was pulled over, and I remember just being like, there was like horses, and I <laughs> and and I. Have no idea where we were. we were just driving around waiting for this call to be. Yeah. You know, it was going to be around like 9 p.m. or something. And and remember that place so vividly. I have no idea where we actually were, but uh, remember it so vividly when he called. Uh, and I was like, just be cool, be cool. <laughs> and we got it. But it was, yeah, pretty it's amazing. amazing. <laughs> um, what's a Life changing experience, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, is, uh, it really was. It, w- it was kind of this healthy, quote unquote, corridor, some structure but obviously in a very different direction than, you know, grad school or yeah. or investment banking. Um okay, what's uh, what is another story that's helped shape your life?
1: Um another another good one was you know, when we we end up selling Twitch to Amazon. Uh by that time I was I was on the border, just on the board of directors and Emmett was running the company and uh, we had you know, we had been negotiating this sales process for a while and Entered into, we're gonna, you know, close on this day uh, that was during Burning Man. This is like the most Silicon Valley story ever. Um, And I was like, okay, I'm going to Burning Man. I actually built an art car that year, and so we, you know, my signature packet was in escrow or whatever. And I'm like, are do we? I need anything else from me? And Emmett said no, and so I went to Burning Man, I was supposed to, you know, I was there early, and the Monday of Burning Man or whatever was when the escrow was supposed to be released. And I remember going up there, and the night before, we we like, sleeping in this insulation hut yurt, like a yurt made of, like, insulation foam. And it's kind of taped together. And that night it rained, actually. And it rained, and then the yurt flooded. So I woke up in a pool of water, and and I kind of go outside and like the whole Burning Man, you know, was flooded, and I spent the entire time walking around. Well, first drying off all my stuff, and then walking around, trying to figure out like an internet connection or something so I could figure out if this tra- you know sale had gone through, and uh, <laughs> we you know, finally. I actually don't think I found anything, uh, uh, any phone or anything like that, but someone, you know, came in from the outside who had had internet and was like, oh, congratulations. And so I like knew it was on, but it was funny because I had woken up that day in this pool of water, you know, and then we we sold the company for $970 million, and that was a pretty incredible contrast. Right. Uh, It was good, you know, you got to stay grounded. Yeah. Well, well, I don't know how grounded it is to go to Burning Man, but anyways, it was amazing.
0: sleeping on the ground is literally grounded. literally grounded yeah yeah all right as obviously um can be life-changing although i mean tying it back to what we were previously talking about i'm to say it was like jim carrey said something something to the effect of i wish everybody could be rich and famous so they could realize that it doesn't do anything for you yeah that's not where it's at yeah and and it it does at least give you that the ability to say okay this is Potentially life changing, but potentially life changing because it pulls the veil back from something many people are curious. Everyone may be curious about, but yeah, it's might a, not have that. That's have a,
1: you know, it is interesting. Like I look at my gratitude journal entries, right? I've been doing it for consistently almost every well every day, basically for the last since July of last year. So it's been eight months or something like that, and most of the entries are like I cooked something really good. Right. Or I, I, you know, spent time quality time with this friend or my wife or something like that. Those things are like, it's like never a material. It's very rarely, I should say a material thing. I think I've mentioned my G wagon only once. (laughs) Well, it wouldn't be gratitude if you didn't also, yeah, have
0: uh, gratitude for uh, a G wagon but but I know I totally hear you. yeah mine, mine it's it's so interesting. our patterns of thought are are like anything and and you create these patterns and pathways that you really can break by saying okay I want to create another pattern or another you know neurological pathway wow. of, of noting these these small things. And like I said, it's just the new list of or at least for me in my little handwritten journal. I was so surprised to hear that you mentioned that that uh, the gratitude journal because it really helped me and and I just would list, you know, like I said, a fourth thing, a fifth thing, a sixth thing, a seventh thing. And, you know, each morning and it started to really um, set this kind of pathway or the pattern each day to start noticing those things. Okay? What's the third third story that Third story? Shape your life.
1: Uh so about a year and a half ago, I almost drowned. In the Pacific Ocean. What? So my wife and I started trying to go spearfishing and diving out in the Pacific uh, in Sonoma County. And we went into the water. This one time we were trying to go abalone diving, went in the water, and it was uh, pretty choppy, like not a good time to go in. And the, you know, the the ingress point was uh, kind of a rock. It was more of a scramble, not like a beach. And so got in the water. It was pretty choppy. I'm not actually a very good swimmer, which is, um, you know, it sounds more badass to go like diving in the Pacific, but it's like, I'm not actually that strong of a swimmer. My wife is, but I'm, I'm kind of a noob. And so, uh, we, started, we were like, Oh, we made a mistake. We should not have gotten in here. And we started trying to get out. And that, at that moment, a set of waves started coming in and there's a rope ascent, right, on descent. And I'm, so I'm trying to climb up the rope, and the waves just come in, and they're like knocking us off. And it went from this is annoying to this is a problem to yelling for help to getting tired. Whoa. And then to being like, this is how I die.
0: Holy shit.
1: And luckily my wife had a little more sense than I did. And, you know, after couple minutes and we're like I'm like really losing kind of strength here she's like let's you know you gotta you gotta kick off your fins and wait until there's like a lull in the set of waves and then climb up and she kind of called it out and talked me through it I'm like super panicking right at that point and so she talked me through it I got up and then I was like oh my god I need to figure out how to get her up and then she uh she was able to to climb up as well and so you know at that point i'm like hyperventilating and and i was you know cuz i had thought i i was like i thought this was it i'm i'm dead and it was really interesting because at that time i was very scared of uh, but it was the first time that i've been confronted with a situation like that like where i really thought it was like game over and so uh i was at the moment i was very frightened and what I've realized is like since then through some of this work I've been doing for myself on, you know, kind of removing my, att- trying to remove my attachments and negative visualization thinking about all like that I'm going to actually eventually lose everything. And like having, trying to be okay with that change. I think I've kind of come around to being much more okay with my eventual demise. Of course, it's easy for me to say that here sitting in this comfortable chair in this podcast with you. We'll see what happens when it really comes, uh, when it really comes time. But I think that, um, it's interesting that, that was a really life inflection point moment for me Because it really opened my eyes to like You will die one day I never really thought about it actively before
0: That is pretty pretty crazy I haven't heard that, yeah. that story Well I'm glad it didn't happen that day And I couldn't think of a, a better way to, uh, to end this podcast to, Of below the line yeah. With that story and gratitude That you uh, are currently above The waterline um today so every day you know you're lucky you're living on borrowed time it's it is so true and that that's something that it's easy to have the perspective and gratitude for those major things when you start listing and ticking off the small things like what you cooked yeah um so Jay, man, thank you so much for for stopping by. I hope uh, maybe we'll add Kin to that list of of increasing baseline happiness, um, <laughs> and uh, and I really. Are appreciate Are they out it. there paying you for this? No, they're, they're it's just free free Kin, um, and and I really dig the company um, and and the team behind it. But you know, uh, I just
1: realized this thing says that there's twelve servings per container, and I think we drank like. <laughs> quarters of this i think
0: we drank the uh
1: i hope there's no adverse health effects to it the whole
0: the whole thing um yes uh i will email the founders um
1: tell them to send me some
0: i will i will thank you so much for stopping by and uh and for kicking off this podcast with one hell of uh, a first episode no right thanks buddy see ya friends and listeners Thank you all for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, or you enjoy Below the Line in general, go ahead and subscribe on the iTunes podcast app, or leave a quick review. We love those, basically because we just we love hearing from people that find value from these kinds of conversations, and leaving a review, good or bad, is a great way to encourage more of this dialogue, and, and lets us know that people are enjoying it. So we appreciate those. You can also follow us on Twitter at at Below the Line Podcast. And tweet us questions anytime. Or you can email us at askbelowtheline at gmail.com. That's below the line podcast on Twitter and AskBelowTheLine at Gmail. I have no idea why those are different, but anyhow, I'm your host, James Boucher, and this has been another episode of Below the Line. Until next time.
1: Below the Line with James Bashara is brought to you by Straight Up
0: Podcasts.